Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, and now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host Eddie Trunk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, anywhere you get your podcast. Thank you for subscribing and checking it out. As I tell you each and every week, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to listen to my daily radio show, Trunk Nation. It's heard live Monday through Friday. 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103. And you can also listen to it anytime you want on the Sirius XM app, audio, video, and more. If you are only listening to this podcast and you can listen to Sirius XM Radio, you are only getting a tiny, tiny fraction of the interviews, the rock talk, the commentary, and the phone calls that we do on a regular basis on the radio. Think of it as sports talk for rock fans. So come on board with me at SiriusXM and listen every day to Trunk Nation 3 to 5 Eastern on Faction Talk 103. You also get a sixth show there on Mondays on Hair Nation from 5 to 8 Eastern on Channel 39. So a lot to take in. And again, if you only listen to the podcast, a tiny, tiny taste of what I do six days a week live on the radio. So come on board with us for the Daily Trunk Nation. Thank you all for checking out the podcast and uh, be sure to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. Today, we've got two interviews for you that uh, came your way uh, that we had on the air over the last two to three weeks, I'd say. First up, we're going to bring you Michael Monroe, the lead singer of Hanoi Rocks, who reunited with his band Hanoi Rocks for his 60th birthday. Michael also has some phenomenal solo records out. He called in from Finland, where, of course, he lives and is based. And at the time of this interview, they were just getting ready to do the reunion with Hanoi for his big 60th birthday. Of course, it has since happened. But it's great to hear Michael talk a little bit about this and, of course, his great records that he's released recently. Really some great solo records. Also this week, Billy Sheehan will bring him to you second. Billy did something interesting. His first ever band, Talis, recently reunited and made a new record of songs that they wrote back in 1985. Not only do we talk about that, but also Billy's history with all the different bands he's played with, 
including, of course, David Lee Roth and many others. So you don't want to miss Billy Sheehan coming up second. We'll lead with Michael Monroe. Let's get to it right now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Joining us now via Zoom from Finland, where it's past 11 o'clock at night, so we appreciate him staying up late. It's been a while since I've seen him. Looking great as always, Michael Monroe. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Great to see you too, Eddie. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. We've been emailing a little bit back and forth about your your great new record, and I was saying to you, I I was thinking about it. I said, well, I don't know with the time difference. Sometimes people don't like to do interviews in America until they're in America. But then I reached out to you. I said, hey, do you want to do something? And you were willing to do it. And uh, I got to tell you, congrats on another incredible record. I Live Too Fast to Die Young. It's right here. I've been listening to it, loving it. It's phenomenal, man. You've been on an incredible run making uh, making music. Tell me about putting this one together. Thank you. Yeah, well, we this one uh, I wanted to try something different, and uh, we we went to a different new new studio at a, a, a place in Helsinki called Inkfish, and uh, the the engineer I tried to uh, this guy uh, he makes Sammy Alpha solo album, and I, I was interested in working with him, and I met met up with him, and it was uh, he had a good vision and. Uh, it was a conscious risk. I took, uh, went into a new studio, new, new engineer, and a new environment, and uh, we really uh, paid off. Uh, uh, we renewed the band's sound, uh, production-wise, arrangement-wise, song-wise, and, and uh, uh, sound-wise in the best possible way. So there's a lot of variety. I mean, we had like 34 songs last summer to choose from, and I always try to go for the 10, 11, 12, 13 at the most to keep it short. And uh, this just uh, became a great entirety as we got 11 tracks all together for the album. It's a perfect amount. And it's the kind of record you want to hear again after you heard it. And uh, uh, it's uh, yeah, it really turned out even better than I expected. I think uh, really has, the sound is more, it has more air and more dynamics and uh, it's uh, somehow more pleasant to listen to. Everything's not on 11 all the time. It's, it's got more depth to it. And uh yeah, and a lot of different types of songs that we haven't done before with this band. It, uh, so it's really refreshing. I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. Really, really happy with the way this turned out. And it's appropriate. I just turned 60 on, uh, on June 17th, and uh, it's too late to die young now. It's, I live too fast to die young. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you look amazing for 60 years old. That's incredible. How, how did you feel about that landmark uh, turning 60? I'm a couple years away from it. I'm starting to shake a little bit just thinking about it, Michael. But how did you do turning 60? Oh, it ain't nothing. It's great. I feel better than ever. I mean, I was I had the best birthday. I was we were touring. Uh, yeah, the album came out on June 10th and we went on tour uh, in Europe with um, we were opening for Alice Cooper on the seven shows. And uh, I was the best time I had on my birthday. Actually, we were playing in Germany. Uh, in a city called Zwickau and uh, opened for Alice. And then as, as um, many other nights, Alice invited me up to sing schools out the second verse of schools out with him. And uh, this time he, he invited me for, he knew it was my birthday. So uh, he invited me up to sing schools out and then he, he handed me a sword, but you know, he pops, pops the balloons with the confetti inside, you know, during the schools out. So he gave me my own swords, like pop the balloons. I always wanted to do that. And then, and then uh, at the end of the song, he introduced the band and everybody. And then he had this, this guy, Kyler, his assistant, who was dressed up like a, the, the hunchback of Notre Dame comes up with a, with a birthday cake with candles and a lit up and uh then Alice sang happy birthday to me with the audience, sang happy birthday to me. And I was like, whoa, this is the best birthday ever. So that was like, 
people ask me, what's your highlight, you know, from the 80s or what, what was the best times? And was, this is the best time of my life. And that's one of the highlights of my career. I think when Alice Cooper singing happy birthday to me with the audience in Germany. That was really, you know, can't really top that. So I'm happier than that. No. No, that's that'll be that'll be a tough one to beat. And you know, I, I say this to all the all the time to my friends. It's like I, I don't know, I, I believe in and seeing you and the spirit and the energy you have and having seen you live in recent years and how great the band is and how great you still are. I believe firmly that what we do and our love for this music really does keep us young and keep us youthful. Even if even if it some creaks when you wake up in, in the morning, you still have that that attitude and that feel about it. And look at a guy like Alice, who's probably 15 years older than you and how great he still is. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he's better than ever. It's a great inspiration. I mean, he, he told me, he says, Michael, you're only 60. It's nothing. He's 74. <laughs> he's 74. He says, I'm 74 and I'm feeling better than ever. And he is. And the show is phenomenal. It's it's better than ever. It's really, it's, 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 uh, everybody should see the Alice Cooper show at least once in their lives. And Alice is amazing. He's a, and it's yeah. a sweetheart. It was really a great pleasure and privilege to uh, do these shows. And uh, he, in the end of it all, he gave me his switchblade. This, uh, oh pool. wow! Check it out with a pearl handle and everything. It's like, and yeah. uh, <laughs> this was the cool. I mean, switchblades. All right, people say, "Oh yeah, what's so cool about a switchblade?" Yeah, if Alice Cooper gives you a switchblade, then it's cool, man. So this is yeah, I get from him, and uh, also I turn him on to some harmonicas. Uh, I had you know uh, from uh, Japan. This is Suzuki harmonicas that I noticed he plays the harp on a couple of songs, uh, and. Uh, he uh, so I gave him a harp from I had these Suzuki harps and he said, wow, it sounds great, much clearer and louder than the one he was using. He was using one of those old Honer ones. So I was happy to be able to give something back because Alex has he's given me so much. And uh, 50 years before, I mean, I was there's a there's a picture of me in 10 years old when I have Alice Cooper record on my on my lap. And uh, I, uh, I I posted that picture on my birthday. I said, How could I could never imagine. 50 years before this one, I was 10 years old, an Alice Cooper fan, that Alice would be singing happy birthday to me one day in Germany with the audience. Uh, life is amazing. Life is wonderful. And rock and roll does keep you young. It's, it's yeah. your attitude. It's, you know, yeah, yeah, for that. sure. Right? And Alice is say- a wonderful person, too, as you know. I mean, he, I took my son to see him a few years ago, and he had us come back. And he actually gave my son a signed harmonica, you know, that he had. He had one, and he gave it to him. So... I told cool. my son, I said, you don't understand how important this is, but hold on to it. And one day you'll understand what just happened to you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I got these knives to one of them. He's signed. Uh, these are the ones he uses on stage. Oh, wow. Like, he, you know, he's a, he had a dartboard in the backstage. And I was like, what do you do? You play, do you throw darts? No, no. Target practice. Because I'll teach you too, you know, throw, how to throw knives. And yeah, yeah. He's, he's the coolest. Well, and you, you would, his image is what it is. Uh, when you meet him, he's the sweetest kindest most kind-hearted person you ever meet and polite and so so cool that i just i love him to death did he <laughs> tour did he tour yeah no pun there did he tour um michael when you when you were playing when you were a kid growing up in finland did alice cooper come there and play early on did you see the early shows no i never i wish i had but he uh, you know i loved all the albums i mean from love it to death was one of the first albums i got as a kid and i i totally uh, loved him from then from then on but he was never they never played in finland 
he did come to do some promotion in uh, 74 when the Muscle of Love album was uh, came out. He came to do a promotion uh, and uh, apparently he came to taste the finished beer because it was <laughs> back then. He doesn't later on. He told me he didn't really doesn't even remember being in Finland that time. But I was a little kid and I, I went I knew, knew the hotel he was staying at me and some kids from my backyard. And we went to see went to hang out outside the hotel and he was staying at a suite on the top floor and he threw some posters down and he was doing interviews and stuff. And then then he showed up downstairs. He was taking up. There was a limo outside. And then he all of a sudden he was downstairs with a beer in his hand, with black leather pants and black leather jacket and looking so cool. And then he came out and there's a bunch of people are like trying to reach out to him. And all of a sudden he was next to me. I was like, wow. So I patted him on the back. And I said, now I can say I touched Ellie Scooper. And he got into the limo and some girl gave him like a pen and paper. And he just sat there with the pen and paper. And then the limo took off. But I told the story to him later on. I said, so, yeah, I touched you then. And uh, I thought, like, wow, I touched Ellie Scooper. And <laughs> cool. Now we're friends. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. No, he, you know, and of course, Alice has had such a huge influence on so many, yourself included. But you yeah. yourself has had have had a huge influence on a lot of artists and music that came out, starting with the early years of Hanoi Rocks and some of the bands that t- took so much from what you guys did and ran with it. And whether it was the look or the sound or what have you, what was it for you, Michael, that shaped you beyond Alice Cooper and the early years of Hanoi Rocks to become Michael Monroe? Like what what is Michael Monroe the blueprint of like what where, where did it all come from for you? Well, there's all kinds of things. I mean, you know, Little Richard now discovered the Stones and Little Richard and uh, Little Richard, the Rolling Stones to the Ramones and, uh, and blues and funk and reggae. I like all kinds of music. And when I was a kid, there was, a, you know, Finnish, there was there were no genres that, that much. There weren't there wasn't even a term. Heavy metal was didn't even exist back then. There was only like records. You know, Led Zeppelin second album was. I got that. My my father bought that for. He probably just went to the record store and asked asked the the, the clerk what what kids are listening to those days. And that was like Fireball was my first uh, that uh, first album. My Deep own uh, Deep Purple Fireball. Yeah, Deep Purple yeah. Fireball and uh, Black Sabbath. I I mean I saw Black Sabbath on TV. Believe it or not, that was when I I was you know my I come from a musical family. My grandfather was a cello player. His father was an oboe player. My mother's musical too. She worked at the radio, but I took piano lessons when I was five. My mother made me. And then I saw Black Sabbath live in Paris, uh, 1970 on TV. We had a black and white TV, and I was like a little kid, eight years old, and I saw that, and I was like, whoa, what's this? And and Ozzy Osbourne going nuts, long hair, wild and free and crazy, and I said, wow, that that is something else, and and I, I really got it. Then I said. Uh, I got their record and I said, mom, can I, can I start taking piano lessons? I, I realized that music, I could play a Black Sabbath song on the piano, down, 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 you know, and uh, <laughs> I was learning guitar and stuff. And uh, they had all kinds of music in record shops. So I, I got into, I'm really open-minded about it. I like all kinds of music and, uh, and rock and roll, of course, my closest to my heart, but uh, took the influences from, uh, from uh, various artists and uh, little Richard, was the king of rock and roll. I could say now that Little Rich is gone. Isn't Alice Cooper the king of hard rock, rock and roll? Alice Cooper, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that, but you might be right. I mean, I was talking earlier 
and Alice predates Aerosmith, but before you came on the air, I was talking about Aerosmith because they just started up again. And I oh. just had friends that went to their, they did a 50th anniversary show in Boston. And I had friends of mine that were there and they, and they said, Steven Tyler, who is now 75, 76, is, as far as American artists are concerned, may be the greatest living frontman singer that we still have. I mean, he's ridiculous still, even after all he's been through. He is definitely one of the ultimate, absolute greatest. He's incredible singer. He's always in his pitch is always perfect, and he sings so high. It's incredible. I mean, I've seen him quite a few times. And some years ago, I saw them in uh, uh, in in Vilna in uh, uh, in Estonia. They were. I mean, he he's hitting the high notes, and he's uh, incredible. He's one of the greatest. I mean, he was also you know he also influenced me and. Uh, I mean, I, I had the, uh, I must say, one great feather in my cap when uh, uh, Les Paul's 75th birthday at the Hard Rock Cafe in New York. I had, a, I came home one night and I had a message on my answering machine from Steven Tyler. I'd never, never met him before, and I, he had just met my old, my old sound guy, Night Bob, who used to do my sound. Oh he yeah, I know there. Night Bob. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he asked, he had ran into Night Bob after, a, you know, I hadn't seen him after a long time, and he. He said, uh, what do you been doing? He asked, uh, you know, Night Bob, what have you been doing? And Bob said, you know, I just got back from a tour with Michael Monroe. I says, oh, I love that guy. Give me his phone number. So I got back home and I was like, there's a message saying, Michael Monroe, Steven Tyler, just wanted to pass on some stuff. I was like, what? <laughs> and so then Bob calls me, hey, uh, Michael, I'm sorry. I gave you a number to Steven. I hope you don't mind. I said, that's okay. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> and then, uh, then I said, well, I wonder what he wanted. Uh, hopefully he'll call back. And then he called me again and he said, you know, he, he, he liked my album, not faking it. He said, really like that record. And, and uh, then he asked if I wanted to play saxophone, a saxophone solo on big 10 inch record on that song at uh, Les Paul's 75th birthday at the Hard Rock Cafe in New York with, cause they were going to play it. They played it like a half hour set with the, the whole band was like set up there. So I said, yeah, sure. I twist my arm. Of course, I will come and play. And so I did. I even have that on a video uh, that because uh, there was MTV was filming then. So they, they let me have that song, you know, of course, on the condition that I didn't you know, spread it around, which I haven't. I gave it to Joe Perry, though, when we opened up for the Hollywood Vampires in, in Helsinki. Uh, so about 2017. Uh, and I was almost to the day, the date of the anniversary of that that event but uh yeah jamming with uh aerosmith playing the sax solo doing my best over there and uh, uh got on stage steven was like where'd you get those lips <laughs> like, probably bought him in the same store you got yours man and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and no doubt uh, you know you mentioned yeah. you mentioned mtv a second ago and i'm curious about this because when the hanoi rocks first broke up i believe it was around 85 86 right initially 80, 80, 80. Our drummer got killed in a car accident in 84 in December. So we broke up like uh, the spring of 85, finished the band. You, and of course, that was tragic when, when Razzle was lost and you guys made that decision to end at that point. Was yeah. was that a tough decision to make to end the band at that time? And also, do you think that if you would have continued uh, shortly after that, as so many bands do these days when you see tragedies or band members leaving or whatever, do you think because of what happened with MTV in America, where it became such a big thing, to me, Hanoi Rocks, the sound, the look, was so perfectly suited for MTV. Do you think if the band would have hung in there that the story for Hanoi in America might have been different? Very possibly. I mean, it's hard to say. It it, it could have been, and uh, uh, it's... Uh, you know, no point saying if this and if that, but uh, 
Uh, it's very likely we were in a position and, and the timing was pretty perfect for for us to if uh, if the if the band hadn't broke up uh, there's a good chance we could have become <laughs> could have all the uh, all the ingredients were there that we could have become uh, one of the biggest bands in the world of course but you know after Razzle died Sammy Alpha left the band so it was like we all not only lost Razzle and then Sammy left and then uh, there was only me and Andy McCoy on Nasty Suicide and we weren't really in a great state of mind. I mean, the worst thing that to me was losing my best friend and uh, Russell was such a great guy and I uh, was devastated. We were all devastated. And if, if we, maybe if we'd had a break for half a year or a year or something and, and then would have come back to it, may, we could have kept it together maybe. But the guys that were, you know, uh, the management was trying to, we were, you know, trying to be, we were being rushed into continuing and, and trying to, you know, keep going and, the drummer and bass player that was supposed to come in, they were not like, wasn't the same band. And I didn't want the world to get to know Hanoi Rocks as that. I want, I wanted them to, uh, people to know Hanoi as it was with the integrity and intact and the band that wasn't just, you know, couldn't be bought, you know? So I wanted to keep it that way. And that's why I wasn't easy for me. It was an easy decision. I, I thought, you know, it wasn't the same anymore. It wasn't the same band. So it was, maybe we could have become one of the biggest bands in the world, but it wouldn't have been the same. It would have been even worse in a way because I, I would have been, that's not the Hanoi that, that Hanoi was with Razzle and Sammy and the whole, the whole band. It was like a family and a street gang. And we were like us against the world. And then it would have been, that would have been just for the money. And that I thought, you know, it wasn't worth it. It was, it was better to keep at least one band that would, couldn't be bought, you know? So yeah. That's well, that's what I was going to say. It's such a different world now because nobody ends and, you see members that have been in bands for 40, 50 years and they leave or pass away and the next day the band's still going. It's kind of hard to, to for me as a fan sometimes to even process that because, it, but, but it's just the way the music is. I tell my audience all the time, back in the 70s, back in the 80s, if, if the bass player didn't show up for a gig, it was like a big deal. If there was a substitute bass player, it was like huge news. Now it's like, well, we just got the, the guitar tech filling in or whatever, and, and fans just seem to accept anything thrown at them. They don't even know who's really in the bands anymore. You've got no original member bands. You've got all these things going on. That stuff didn't fly back in the 70s and 80s, really. It was all different time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And to me, it, it's a... Uh... It also it's, it kind of depends on the band too. I mean, you know, uh, some bands uh, can maybe get away with that. Some bands really, uh, I don't see as a as a fan. I mean, you know, like Dan McCafferty. You were talking about Nazareth earlier. You know, what yeah. a singer. I mean, that yeah, guy, yeah. Uh, out, uh, outstanding, phenomenal, one of a kind. Nobody sings like that. So that's like the sound of Nazareth. Uh, to me, and uh, or a guy like Steven Tyler or Alice Cooper, people like yeah, that that we talk yeah. to. There are, there are <laughs> obviously there are key people in certain bands. Yeah, yeah. no you can't doubt. Have that Steven Tyler, right? Right. You can't. Exactly. Yeah, hey, so, you know, so, I also wanted to, I also wanted to ask you, Michael, and want to talk more about the new record here in a second and what's coming up. But one other thing about well, two quick things on Hanoi. First of all, when you talk about the old days. Uh, for people that don't know, you worked with Bob Ezrin on a Hanoi Rocks album on Two Steps from the Move. Yes. What was I know Bob? I've had, been lucky enough to have him on this show. He's one of speaking of Alice. Of course, he was so involved in Alice and Kiss and Pink Floyd and so many others. He is known as and rightfully so as one of the great producers of all time. He's also yes. known as a guy that's a taskmaster that really pulls and and can be tough in the studio. What was, you know, I look at Hanoi Rocks as being such like a loose sort of like in your face, like punky sort of hard rock band. 
What was it like, Ezrin, trying to wrangle you guys? What was that experience like working with him? It was a great experience. It was like a like a like a the best learning experience working with him for all of us. And that's when we we kind of like we became professionals during that process and learned. And he knew exactly how to handle the band, how to handle Andy. And, and you know, Andy reminded him of uh, Glenn Box of the Alice Cooper band. He says that you know he's a, he's a hard case, but he can he can work him he can work with him. And uh, he, he was. It was really fantastic. He came to see the band and then he wanted to meet me first, which Andy was kind of like, why does he want to meet you? I mean, I write most of the songs. You know? <laughs> but he, had some great, he had some pointers. He had seen our show and he said, so, Michael, how many times did you get on the PA? I said, I don't know, a couple, two or three. He says, I counted seven. And I said, yeah, so, well, you know, if you do it that many times, it loses the impact. You know, it's just, if you got there once, you got there, you know, people go, wow. And the second time, maybe, but after that, you lose the You mean impact. climbing on the PA in live shows? Yeah, yeah, climbing up on the PA on top of it. I right. do a lot of climbing. So, it's, you know, little things about performance and stuff. And he paid attention to the whole whole package, you know, how what I do with my hands. People follow your hands. And when you give them time, start clapping and, and not go so fast and, you know, uh, aimless. And, you know, if you do something like this and then you do something else with your hands, they follow it. The people get confused. And it's just pointers about the performance. And like like the way he saw Alice Cooper, man. The first time he saw Alice, he saw him like Alice in uh, Alice's head in a little window going nobody likes me it's all my fault and then nobody likes me nobody likes me little movements like that and so theatrically it was fantastic now to get the music to go with that then and they, they became that was a perfect match and i think Ezrin was thinking he was he was looking at us like we reminding him of the alice cooper band we were looking at working with him the next next albums as well it was a long long haul we were in, in it for that's what it would have been if the band would have stayed together i mean he was he was also really really devastated when the band broke up with the accident and everything so so that was a great experience i learned a lot really learned a lot from him and uh and and, and many things and it was so funny. Uh, he, had, <laughs> he had a lot of funny stuff. Uh, you know, we, we were singing the, the boiler song. You know, we did the four part harmonies and all of a sudden he rushes into it was like an animal house. Comes with the fire extinguisher with a bunch of foam like, on all of us. And we're like, everybody else jumped up. Like, Whoa, and Razzle Kid is just standing there with a the beer and like, how you doing, Bobo? <laughs> all right. He didn't move at all. He was all covered in foam and. But he literally great. sprayed you with foam? Ezrin literally yeah, sprayed you with fire extinguisher foam? Fire, fire extinguisher, yeah. He came in, you know, like in uh, Animal House. They do they wake, wake the guys yeah. up. And uh, he went, you know, our pants like, shh, you know, on the, you know, spraying <laughs> fire extinguisher on, on, on us. And uh, yeah, it's a, a lot of, he, he taught me a cool warm up thing. I remember when I was, uh, my voice was shot and I'd been singing a lot. And I says, well, you know, I, I don't feel great. I don't feel like, singing today and i my voice is shot and all and you know so bob said okay come here and then he showed me this warm-up thing where i could just you know, I could relax my throat and find the lowest note you know and breathe and breathe show me you know how to breathe and just uh, relax and that uh, singing the lowest tone you can get and it's kind of it, it massages your vocal cords and then then he said sing like that sing something like that for an hour we're going out to dinner i was screw you man (laughs) okay fine and i started doing that and after a while i was like wait a minute i feel better my voice came back i was like he was right he taught me how to you know get my voice back by massaging my vocal cords like that it was like a thing like that it's a great warm-up before a gig and after a gig to to uh keep you maintain your voice and uh, a lot of great points pointers for uh you know, having to when you're touring every night, you're singing every night, doing a gig after gig. Uh, you know how to main, keep your voice, maintain uh, 
you're because you're you know guitarists they break a string they can you know put a new string on but your my body is my instrument so uh sure you gotta take care of that yeah really great learning experience and we were uh, the plan was to work with him make the next album and the album after that and uh, in and uh, from then on and so uh, it was really fantastic working with him i think it was in a little bit different um uh state of mind uh compared to what he's been later in the later years you know uh it's very strict i'm sure i hear that uh tape's got to be rolling by 10 a.m. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's still he's still at it. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so um, one other thing. Did I hear that you so you're doing shows? First of all, again, the new album is called I Live Too Fast to Die Young. It's the latest uh, in, in an incredible string of, of records that Michael's made with his own uh, band. Uh, Sensory Overdrive was incredible. I mean, there's so many great recent records, but I know you've done touring around Europe for this. And I heard if this is correct, that there's going to be a special show, I guess in Finland where you're going to play with your band, but also there will be a Hanoi rocks reunion at that. Is that correct? Yeah. The original lineup of Hanoi rocks will the and the grand finale of the, of the, my my 60th birthday show celebration, the birthday bash, whatever uh, is going to be on September 23rd. Now uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, uh, yeah, there'll be, First of all, Demolition Twenty Three. That the the Demolition Twenty Three will be the opening band. We'll do uh, five songs or so. Uh, and that album, Demolition Twenty Three, is coming out now in October. Little Steven is finally releasing it. It's going to be out on vinyl and and CD and digital, every format. And uh, it's never been out on vinyl. That's coming out on uh, October sixteenth now. Remastered, sounding better than ever. So yeah, that band's gonna open up. Then it's my solo stuff. There's gonna be some guests and uh, and, and uh, some surprises. And at the end of it all, what happened was I had uh, Sammy and Nasty are gonna be, you know, the Sammy Alpha and Nasty Suicide are gonna be, you know, the Demolition Twenty Three part. They're gonna be there anyways. And Sammy's in my band, playing the bass. But uh, since they were there, and I was gonna, I was, I met with Jip Casino. The drummer, the original drummer from Hanoi uh, uh, in Stockholm last December when we were we were filming uh, my documentary, which is also in the making. Alice Cooper did a cool interview for that, too, in uh, in Milan. Uh, oh, so, wow. Yeah, I look forward to that. I didn't know you had a documentary that, coming. What, that's yeah, I yeah. love docs. When will yeah, that be that's ready? Gonna be, that's going to be ready in uh, January. At the end of January, it's going to be uh, coming awesome. out. It's going to movie theaters and stuff. Yeah, it's going to be it's called uh, The Best Kept Secret in Rock and Roll. Michael Monroe. <laughs> And uh, so uh, I met Jim Casino in, in December. I was what a cool guy he was. It was nice memories and all. And I was I invited him over to do something uh, this other song, but then uh, and then Andy McCoy he called me. He invited himself. <laughs> he said, "I heard he got this 60th birthday celebration. If I have time from my world tours, I may I may have time to show up and uh, maybe I'll do come and do tragedy." <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> all right, fine. So then uh, I started thinking about it. I said, wow, that could be actually cool. All the guys will be there. The original lineup. Uh, why don't we do a few Hanoi songs in the end? And then we were going to have it as a surprise. And everybody agreed. And then this is the only way, the only time to do it, you know, like for the right reasons. And then I thought that'd be exciting. And then Sammy Alpha told me one night, she says, you know, are you sure you don't want to let people know ahead of time? Because the fans find out about this later on afterwards, they're going to be pissed off. <laughs> so uh, I said, you're right. Yeah, we have to, we, we should let people know. So, uh, I mean, the, it was the ice, ice hall in Helsinki. It was already uh, over half sold out. But after then we had this press conference and had Jeep Casino come over too. all five of us did uh, last week. 
last last Tuesday, and uh, it was uh, uh, it was you know it was fun, and uh, we announced uh, that we're going to be the the end of the show will be you know the original lineup doing uh, the set of Hanoi songs, and uh, the next day it was all sold out, and everybody wow. wanted to beat it. Yeah, do you think it leads, out. Michael? Do you think it leads to more if the vibe is good and the night goes well? Would you consider doing a tour with Hanoi or do more shows? No, <laughs> no, no. This would be just one time, just one yeah. time. Special. You worry time, that yeah. just things wouldn't be. You worry that the vibe would go bad, or it's not. I mean, we're going to rehearse for two days. I just, you know, and then. Hopefully, I mean, we haven't seen it. It was surreal to meet this, to be with everybody right there, and like all five of us together uh, after forty years. You know, yeah, it was, it was, it was felt, it was amazing. It felt really cool, actually. It was fun, and uh, so uh, yeah, I it think starts it, this- like this, though, Michael. You know, rock history throughout time is like a one, to, like the Kiss reunion in '96. Well, that was just to do the acoustic thing, and then there they go. I put Twisted Sister back together. Then they went out for 13 years. They said, no, only one charity thing, and that was it. So you never know, man. You can never say never. No, I say never say never say never. <laughs> <laughs> how about playing? How about playing? How about playing um, in America for the with the solo band? I know you tried to get over here a couple times, but COVID got in the way on some stuff. And I know you've been yeah. wanting to come over and play. Where are things at for you guys getting to the states? Because your solo band is so killer, and the shows are so great. Do you have a plan to try to get over here? Yeah, well, that's one reason also, and I don't need to Hanoi. Thing, you know, uh, my, my current band is the best band I could hope for. I have a great time with these guys, the, my best friends, and we have a really like it's like the new album, it's only getting better. And uh, yeah, we've been uh, the states is a bit of a challenge because, uh, like I've said before, it's really a, a big expense to go on tour there if you do play just you know clubs. And uh, I mean, New York, the east coast, west coast, always good, but uh, Midwest is uh, it's a, such a big uh, um, area and uh, such a big country that uh, we would have to get on tour, you know, get to open up for a real big stadium act uh, for a year or two. And then, then maybe somebody would notice. So uh, that's a, otherwise it's just, you just lose a bunch of money and uh, you know, you go nowhere slow that way, you know? So that's, it's a challenge. We were supposed to do the monsters of rock cruise and because of COVID, uh, it was postponed twice now. And uh, next year, hopefully, we'll <laughs> we'll get to do it. But uh, other gigs uh, right now, it doesn't look like, uh, unfortunately, because I love American audiences. Uh, you got like rock and roll is like part of the culture there. And everybody, you appreciate two guitar bands like Aerosmith and Stones and and like Hanoi was, and, and, and what we do is like, I know this is the right kind of music for America. So uh, it's uh, it's quite frustrating. You know? It's just hard to, and especially these days when rock and roll is not the biggest, you know, it's not in fashion, so to speak, with uh, there's all this hip hop and country and uh, whatever is, uh, you know, the biggest thing over there. So, I mean, even rock bands are having to do these tours, uh, you know, uh, tours joining together, three bands or whatever. I mean, we're doing our best to keep it, keep good rock and roll alive and uh but uh yeah it's a, it's a bit of a challenge unfortunately i, I wish uh, i really wanted want, would like to play there but we'll have to yeah. see oh i hope so because i having seen you on the cruise a few times and uh and in other settings it's always an incredible show and it's incredible what you at uh, at the very young age still of 60 years old they're still able to do man you you get it done every time and uh if you get the opportunity to see michael monroe and his band 
Uh, my buddy Steve Conti's been in your band for a while. Of course, he's great oh, yeah. as well, and just a yeah, just a killer band. group. Yeah, go yeah. go see him. If and I hope you get you can get over us as fans. We're selfish. We forget there's a lot of expense when you're coming from another country. It's not cheap, especially right now in America. But I hope that can change and that you can get over here. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. There's a hopefully there's a way to do it in uh, in in a, in a good way. And you know, getting to open up for somebody, you know, one of these somebody cool and big and uh, there's a lot of you know but uh i mean well guns and roses doesn't stop michael guns and roses doesn't stop touring they haven't stopped for six seven years you've got they love you they re re they released the hanoi records get axel on the phone tell him to take hanoi take michael monroe out as the special guest for gnr on the next run that would be great. I would be there in a second if, uh, you know, <laughs> tell them that. Uh, we uh, we opened up for them, actually, in London this summer. We played in London uh, uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, uh, but the uh, actually, the first show, we, did, we were supposed to do two shows. And the uh, first show was uh, we were supposed to start playing at uh, 4.30. From 4.30 to 5 was our slot. And then... They didn't open the doors. Doors were supposed to open at three and uh, or three three thirty at the latest, and uh, there there was a delay. We, I still I'm still not sure why, but apparently like Axel had a, a problems with his voice, or his, uh, somewhere it said he had an anxiety anxiety attack or something. That, that they didn't open the doors for two hours. People were outside with with no toilets and no water and, and stuff, and they were kind of pissed. We were waiting on. We were ready to go like four thirty, ready to play, and then. Then uh, there was only these security people in an empty stadium. And I said, well, we're not going to let you play in an empty stadium. I said, okay, we'll wait. And uh, then about five to five, we were told that, okay, you're not going to play. Your slots went, went past that uh, they couldn't open the doors because they, they didn't, I guess they didn't know when, whether Guns N' Roses were going to play. And if they had let people in and if the, then it turned out that they wouldn't play, they were afraid it could be a riot or something like that. So about quarter past five, the doors opened. And then uh, the other opening act, uh, uh, Gary Clark Jr., they, they they got to play their set so i was like okay the greatest show we ever almost did <laughs> oh wow i didn't know that that's terrible and i've heard of that happening i've heard we've i've gotten calls to this show recently from fans who were frustrated because they wanted to go see a band that was third on the bill and they can't get in as you said the doors aren't open so they really wanted to see the band but they physically couldn't get in the venue because of whatever delays so that actually yeah. happened to you that's terrible yeah. yeah we we didn't we missed our slot so we didn't play the first night but the second night we did everything went well they opened the doors on time and we did play and we okay we, we, we rocked hard and then to make up for the night before this was a great show but you know it was like 4 30 to 5 in the afternoon there was, a, there was a bunch of people there people liked it you know and it was a perfect perfect uh combination because i think it works good with those guys it would be great to tour with guns and roses i would love to go on tour with them for a world tour for a year or two and uh, i'm there man if they just but it's up to them you know and they know where to find me if uh, you know yeah, but really yeah. it was second night was great and they they were uh the first night they were a little late uh but there was i thought it was really good people said you know Axel had problems with his voice i thought it sounded great i thought it was fantastic and the second night he said maybe himself uh because the night after the second night when we played the, the, the next day they were supposed to play glasgow and that, that show was canceled because of uh, voice problems so i think uh then he probably had some some problems with his voice right but, uh 
I thought they were great. You know, they're really, really cool and uh, really good. I'm glad they're out there and, you know, rock and roll these days. It's like, yeah, really yeah. Big. We need all those bands filling those stadiums for sure. Yeah, well, listen, I buddy, got I got to, you know, yeah. Yeah. I got to run, man. It's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. And again, congrats on the latest album. Again, it's out now. It's killer. It's called I Live Too Fast to Die Young. If you love straight up kick-ass hard rock, you will not be disappointed. And honestly, Michael, I've been saying it for a while. This is just the latest in a string of great records. Your last two, three, four records have been incredible. So keep up the great work, and it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. It's great talking to you, too. Anytime, let me know. I'll be on your show anytime you want. This, this is a great Appreciate pleasure. It. Yes. I and, hope uh, to be at one of your shows seeing you do what you do, hopefully soon. So hopefully you can get so. over here and, and rock. I look forward to seeing you, man. Absolutely. Thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you to Michael Monroe. Check out his latest album. It's really killer. His latest solo albums are really, really good. And as I mentioned, he talks about that Hanoi reunion that has since happened and seems to have gone off quite well, although he has now said, like he said in the interview, he has no plans to continue working with those guys. But we'll see. Things can always change. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Got another interview for you this week on the podcast. It's bassist extraordinaire Billy Sheehan talking about all sorts of stuff, including reuniting his original band, Talus. Let's get to Billy right now. Billy, how, how are, are you, man? You, I'm good. Good to talk to you. I haven't seen you for so long. <laughs> it's been a bit. It's been a minute. Yeah. How's things going, man? Super great. Super great. Thanks how are you enjoying? Much, um, how are you enjoying Tennessee? You relocated after decades in L.A. to the Nashville area. How's that been for you? We love it. It's uh, the weather is great. Winter, winters are mild. Uh, people are really friendly. We got a great place and a great spot with raccoons and chipmunks and deer and all kinds of wildlife. And then there's no state tax, so that helps too. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. That's always a nice thing. That's I think part of the reason why so much of uh, 
Los Angeles and the and the musician community has moved to either Nashville or where I, where I am in Vegas now part time or Texas or other areas. It's uh it's nice to get a little break from that stuff. Yeah, it gets expensive. That's for sure. I contributed to the state of California for thirty two years. You're welcome. And uh, <laughs> now we move on. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's interesting what you have that you're you're here pr- predominantly to talk about today, because it's really a return to your roots. And that is your first band. And certainly the first time I heard of you as a musician and a player with a band called Talus that was uh, very popular in upstate New York. And you recently put out a, a well a new with quotes around it album from Talis <laughs> called 1985 so i get, you know billy this being a national show i know Talis was tremendously popular in in upstate new york but for the national audience give everybody the overview of Talis and its history if you don't mind well great yeah we started actually in the early 70s 71 72 we're playing in bars, being a copy band. Eventually, we snuck a few originals in there. There's been about eight incarnations of the band as far as different members coming and going and what have you. Then in uh, 1980, uh, 79, actually, we put out a, an album of originals, or mostly originals. And then by, uh, 1980 came along, and by uh, some freak uh, set of circumstances, we ended up opening for Van Halen. And we went around uh, to a lot of America, West Coast, in the South, and everywhere. So we got the name around a little bit then. Then uh, that version of Talos changed again, and we got the version that is on this newer record. And uh, one of the first calls we got is that that lineup was from the William Morris Agency to put us on tour with uh, Ingve. So summer of 85, we went out on tour with Ingve, and we had a riot. I think it was Ingve's first national tour, certainly his first solo tour. And uh, we had a, a blast. Uh, unfortunately, that tour, uh, at the very beginning of it, we started in L.A. And I had a meeting with uh, uh, Dave Roth, and uh, he invited me to come join him and start a band. So uh, that was 1985, how it kind of ended. So <laughs> the album is kind of uh, a symbol of the everything that led up to that. What an amazing time we had in 1985. And what might have happened if we would have uh, continued on and recorded the songs that are on this new record uh, as, as we would have back that in that day. So uh, here we are now. And uh, I texted you last night, as you know, uh, having uh, Talos finally actually be on the billboard charts. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? We, we never imagined we would ever get there, but uh, 30, 40 years later, better late than never. Yeah, well, congratulations. I mean, that's a really cool thing to to see. Now, there's a lot there in what you said. I want to go back to what you said in 1980, Talis being, I believe, an unsigned band for the most part at that time. How do you end up being on a national tour opening for Van Halen, who around 1980 probably would have been three records in, Women and Children around that point. How How do you land something like that without having a hit or a record deal or a, a national profile? Great question. <laughs> we, uh, we had a local manager in Buffalo did our day-to-day stuff. And then the local promoters in Buffalo were 
big in the music biz. They brought in all the big acts, Van Halen or the Who or Emerson Lake and Palm or whatever, into Buffalo, into Rich Stadium or, or other giant venues. So by default, because we were kind of the biggest band around town, they became our managers, so to speak. So they, uh, they actually sent a, a cassette of ours down to Premier Talent, booking agency that deal with so much because they of the big bands they booked and unknown to us barbara sent it to van halen they liked it and said okay put them on now the interesting side note of that is that was uh the manager that did that that was harvey weinstein oh wow harvey weinstein managed talus yes (laughs) wow man (laughs) There's some interesting uh, history there, huh? I mean, wow. So what was it like for you and Talis to be on tour with Van Halen in 1980? A dream come true. We all love that band to start with. I mean, we were head over heels about them to, to, from the very t- first time we heard them. And getting that tour, and I remember the first night on tour, we were in our dressing room. It was kind of an L-shaped room where I could see the door and no one else in the room could. And I was sitting there. The door opened up, and we didn't know any of the guys in the band. We knew them as fans, of course. In walks Ed Van Halen, and the first thing he says is, which one of you guys is Billy Sheehan? And I said, me, <laughs> that's me. And uh, I don't know how he knew of me. It might have been from uh, Denny Carmasi, because I, I had worked with Denny briefly when we did the pre-production on Michael Schenker's first record in London. I went over there for that because um, we had opened for UFO at one point and they, they'd, they'd see me play and Michael called me for that. So it might be where he, where he knew it from, but they were great to us on that tour. They were so nice. They let us do encores and uh, just so uh, we became friends. So every time they came on tour after that, we knew the crew guys. So I could always go and say hi and they get me back to say hello to the band. And an amazing turn of events that I'm forever grateful for. Now, you mentioned 1985, Talis opening for Ingve Malmsteen, and I was at that show that you played at the Beacon Theater in New York. Is it? Did I hear it right that David Lee Roth was actually at that show, and that's kind of like where he approached you about joining his band? Uh, yeah, he was at the show, but we had already established that at the, at the L.A. show at the Palladium. Uh, I had a meeting with him the day before that show. I had a day off when we came into L.A. And uh, he and so the whole tour, the tough part about it was I love these guys in Dallas so much. We had a wonderful time together. But the whole tour, I couldn't say anything. I was kind of sworn to secrecy. So the whole time that we're doing these shows with Ingve having a ride in the back of my mind, I'm going, man, we're going to have to have a little meeting at the end of this tour where I explain what's going on. And it was bittersweet for sure. I mean, you, you'd love to make it in your own band with your own thing and your own songs. But we're still, you know, as you know, uh, getting, getting a record deal. Cause we did get a record deal uh, right at the end there with uh, Danny Goldberg, who had uh, gold mountain records. He, you I think he was Nirvana's manager also later on. Mm-hmm. So we had that, but as you know, having a record deal is no guarantee. Anything is going to happen. You know, we didn't right. know if uh, we'd record a record and nothing would happen. And I was just getting, kind of antsy for some degree of success in my life. And when uh, Dave came along, I said, uh, I'll take it. So the record that has just come out, 1985 from Talis, talk a little bit about making this record, the idea to, you, you, you clearly had some 
felt like you had some unfinished business with the guys. Um, I don't know how long it had been since you played with them uh, until you know, I don't know if you still if you have recently or not. But what's interesting about what you've done with this record is when you came together to make a new Talis record, you didn't go in and say, let's write all new songs. You actually archived material you wrote back in 1985 that never came out, right? Exactly. Yeah, we uh, had two choices. We could take that material that we played live a million times back in the day and like jazz it up and spice it up and modernize it and bring it up to date. Or we could get in the time machine, go back to 1985 and do it like we did it then. So we chose the latter. And uh, I'm glad we did. Uh, it was kind of in our DNA a little bit, having played it live so much. But we got together initially, I think, in 2019. Uh, I had done a reunion with the, with the earlier version of Talus, but those guys were kind of unavailable or not into it anymore. So uh, Phil Narrow, the singer, and Mark Miller approached me to maybe a should maybe we should do a reunion with us and i said yeah okay so we did a um barnard new york right outside of rochester had a uh, charity uh, show so we played for free and thousands of people showed up and we had a riot and then the next uh, obvious step was hey let's do some more shows so we played the iridium down in new york we did shows in rochester albany buffalo a couple other ones and then we thought, of course, the next step, let's let's record it. And so we got together in uh, Mark Miller, drummer Mark Miller's house that he built on the drum kit that he built all together in a room, just like the old days, and laid down the tracks. Uh, we did the vocals with Phil in Toronto, me in Nashville, with some special audio software. I was able to do the vocal production remotely with uh, Zoom or FaceTime as our talkback. And, uh, and we got it done. And uh, there you have it. Well, it's got, it's really like, I'm so glad that you didn't try to modernize it and you, you <laughs> went with what 85 sounded like because to me, it still sounds very fresh. It still sounds very current. It still sounds very live. And it's just great, straight up hard rock. It really some great songs here. Uh, I was listening to the record earlier. So there is some tragedy associated with this, though, because. Your singer, who sings fantastically on the record, Phil Narrow, when you began working with him on recording this, I guess, a year or two ago, you had learned that he was sick, correct? Yeah, we knew he had had a problem, but it had gone into remission. And we didn't know pretty much until the end that things were looking uh, difficult. The end of the recording process. As a matter of fact, uh, Phil was going up to that mic and I saw him on my little video screen in Toronto with our engineer, Toronto engineer, Russ McKay, and singing his heart out and just killing it. And, but I did notice that it was a little bit scatterbrained. Like he'd sing a wrong lyric, and I'd say, no, uh, Phil, this is what it is. Okay, sing it wrong again. And I'd say, Phil, cross out whatever you have there and write in the right lyric. And eventually he'd get it. But it, it struck me as a little funny and unknown to us Unfortunately, the, uh, his cancer had come out of remission, and it was not looking good. So as much as I have nothing but the most amazing respect and admiration for Phil Nero, it is even more so now knowing that he walked up to that mic, knowing he was in big trouble, and he delivered as the best I've heard him sing. He just nailed it, and uh, it says so much about the character of this gentleman and his talent 
and his just uh, relentless push forward in spite of uh, the situation. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it really is. And and sadly, uh, before the record was released, he passed away. So he he's not uh, he's not with you anymore to be able to uh, experience the great reaction and reception to this record. But what a what a phenomenal uh, final statement from him in terms of his performance and the quality of the record and the quality of the performance. And I know that on the record, you actually did a, a track that's a bass solo that's a tribute to him, correct? Yeah, that's correct. On the Sinker Deathen of that album, I had NV43345, which is upside down. It looks like Sheehan. Then on the live album, I did something like that too. So on this one, if you turn down the numbers and letters, if you turn them upside down, you'll see that it says for Phil. And I just wanted to give a uh, farewell to really uh, just a wonderful guy. I mean, we all, we've all heard of lead singer's disease, but uh, Phil Nero was the one guy that had not a trace of it. He's the sweetest, easiest going, affable, friendly, wonderful fans loved him. And what a great performer, a terrible loss. And uh, we're glad now that people are taking to this record in such a positive way. Cause when we, when we first had the record named and the idea of it, 1985 was a tribute to the spirit of that time. And, uh, I, I was on Sunset Boulevard. People were six deep. It was like a Mardi Gras every night. Rock bands and players and clubs. And back on the East Coast too, New York, New Jersey, it was jumping all the time. So that was our original thought, what that record was going to commemorate. And uh, then, of course, the turn of circumstances. Uh, we're looking at it now more as a, a tribute to a wonderful man and a supreme talent. Billy, you mentioned there were a lot of different versions of Talus. The fact that this record has done well and the response has been good to it so far, uh, but obviously against the backdrop of the tragedy of Phil passing away, does that prevent you from potentially doing more with Talus? Or is there another move here with maybe a different variation on the lineup or another singer that could come in and, and pick up the ball and run with it from here? Or do you even have a desire to do that? Well, um, I do have a desire, but it has to be tempered with uh, some sensitivity here. Uh, we would like to initially maybe just do a night in tribute to Phil and see how we feel. Uh, we know a singer or two that uh, could come up. Uh, Phil's son is also, he sang on the record. His son, James, he sang the harmonies on Crystal Clear and a few others. And on Black and Blue, one of the only new song on the record. Uh, so we maybe, if, if he'd be into, into doing it, we'd invite him up for a couple of songs to sing. So we're not sure. I'd love to play more. Playing with Mark Miller is a, is a dream. He's just an amazing drummer. And the guitarist who used Kiri. We also did have Mitch Perry on the record for the two songs he contributed to Crystal Clear and On the Take. He did a great job. It was wonderful to have him involved again. But uh, we'll see. Uh, the door is open, but we, we do want to uh, keep in mind that it's a sensitive situation. And uh, I'm not into exploiting anything uh, during situations like this. Unfortunately, we had a similar situation in Mr. Big, the loss of Pat Torpy. We did go out and finish our commitments with uh, Matt Starr on drums, uh, who did an amazing job and is a dear friend. But it's not the same, you know, without the without the guy. And so since then, we have done nothing. Uh, we, you know, we may do something in the future at some point or other. I'd love to see Paul and Eric again. We'll see. But uh, it's a similar situation. It's kind of tough to get back up there missing one of the one of the guys, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. 
<clears throat> what the status of Mr. Big was. Obviously, we know you did uh, initially when you went out and toured. You when Pat was still alive, actually Pat and Matt were out there for a bit, and then I know yeah. that. Matt was doing the bulk of the drumming and I, I just wasn't sure where it was left with Mr. Big. Eric actually is out now opening for Michael Schenker doing his own thing. So I know he's out there and been quite active as far as playing and stuff, but uh, there's, there's some, you think there's some opportunity to do or some interest to do something with Mr. Big again at some point? I believe so. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, and uh, there's, we, we get, I get email every day from fans that are just dying to see us play again. And that's very touching. And uh, of course we won't do it unless there's certainly a, a very big uh, point of attention put on the life and legacy of Pat. You know, that's, that's important to us as well. That cause he was, there was four of us and he was one for the whole, for the whole uh, adventure we had. So, of course, it's going to be in, in tribute to him for sure. Uh, we'll make sure to acknowledge him in every way we can if we do something, that's for sure. And just hitting you on a few other things from, from your career, you know, I had Steve Vai on with me a week or so ago, and we were talking about all kinds of stuff, and we got on to talking about David Lee Roth, as we often do, and I was asking Steve, you know, it seems like uh, Dave has this desire – in and out to to kind of do rock music again and now he's put out some re-records of van halen songs and seems like there's times where he's going to pop back out there and kind of do rock again and then kind of goes underground i I was talking to steve a little bit about this what's your take on it and have you had any dialogue with him has there been any conversation because the world would love to see that eat and smile band again and i know a number of years ago you got super close to doing a couple songs in la at that jam and it was shut down because of the capacity and all of that but do you have any dialogue with dave at all no i haven't uh we uh that's a great thing about that thing we did in la we couldn't play the show because the fire department shut us down rightfully so it was way, it was dangerous they did too many people in there but we hung in the back myself dave steve greg and our keyboard player brett and I posted a couple of photos of that. And we're just standing in a circle talking about the old days. And that was almost worth it right there. Just to sit there and hang. Because we, when we were in that band, we'd sit in Dave's basement and tell stories. And we had a ride. It was a great hang, a really great hang. I haven't been in touch with them lately, no. Uh, I know I'm in touch with Greg and Steve a lot. Uh, our Sadly, our keyboard player, Brett, passed away not too long ago, too. So... Everybody stay healthy, please, man. It's it's a uh, it's tough out there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, but I would love to do it, of course. Uh, just just for the sake of doing it, even if it was one show, it would be a, it'd be a blast. So whatever, I'm if Dave gives a call, if it ever happens, I will likely drop whatever I'm doing and be happy to do it because he's still my hero, and I, I still have nothing but the highest regard for him. And I wanted to ask you about Sons of Apollo because I know they toured recently outside of the U.S. without you. Are you still doing that band, or have you stepped away from that? Uh, the band isn't doing much now, but when it does anything again, I'm happy to uh, to be there. I love the band. I enjoy playing with Mike, Jeff, uh, Derek, and uh, Bumblefoot. It's a blast. All the touring we did was just great, and we made some some great inroads elsewhere. So. I'm happy to. I know Mike's Mike's busy. Is he touring with uh, John Petrucci? 
Yep, he's getting going, going out with Petrucci. They start on Wednesday, actually. They were both on with me yesterday, actually. Oh, great. It's yeah. nice to see that because I know, I know uh, going back to your old friends, like that's why our phone call is happening here, going back to people you play with in the past is always been a, a joy, especially you let enough time go by because fans are like a marriage and it's going to have a little blow-offs, but you let, let enough time go by. Everything's cool, and it's great to go back with your old friends again. So, so can you comment on why you didn't play with Sons of Apollo, or is it just was a scheduling thing, or just something that didn't work for you at the time? Or no, it was a uh, it was a vaccine thing. And, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't uh, have uh, proof, uh, and I needed a. Uh, there was a situation in my family with a particular affliction, and uh, I'd rather not get into that if you don't mind. But uh, sure. I was advised to avoid uh, the, this particular procedure, so I did. Uh, it's tough, tough decision, and I wish I could have been there with them. But uh, you know, it's a it's a wild world for sure out there now. Well, Billy, I give you a lot of credit for being honest about that because I, you know, I although I I am vaccinated i completely believe that it should be everybody's prerogative on where they land on that and everybody should make their own decisions and there's so many artists right now that have mem uh, lineups of bands that don't have certain members in them and for whatever reason they're not honest about that being the reason that the, the person that's not with them is not vaxxed or couldn't get vaxxed i don't i never understood why that's such a you know a thing where people kind of like skate around it but I appreciate your transparency about it because I, I, I respect it. You know, I, everybody should make their own choices. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. I, I uh, yeah, I posted when, when it went down, I posted some photos of me getting vaccinated in Germany before we went to India with Mr. Big. It was required to have a cholera, yellow fever and something else. I'm not against vaccinations, but this particular one triggers a particular syndrome that uh, does run in my family. And uh, I was advised against it. And uh, I, I and also I, I I played by the rules. I, I stayed indoors. I stayed away. Uh, I wore the mask all the time. I played by the rules as best I could. Stayed away from people, and uh, do my best to uh, ensure the health of the people around me. But uh, that's that's the way it goes. And and I respect everyone's decision to do what they do. And I think now, as time is going on, we're seeing that some of the protocols that were enforced strongly weren't absolutely necessary uh, mm -hmm. so i think people are lightening up on it and i'm glad to see that and i'm glad to see we're mostly over it for the sake of everyone's health and for the sake of everyone's mental health too because it's been tough yeah what kind of things did you do during you know, during the lockdown you you actually were doing were you do did i see that i think you were doing online instructional courses or actually offering your services to play on records and things like that yeah, out of nowhere, people would just write to me and say, hey, can you play bass on so-and-so? I learned early on, though, I got to hear it first. <laughs> because sometimes I'd agree to play on something, and I'd hear it, and I'd go, uh-oh, we got to get some fixing here. <laughs> right. But uh, So I learned early on. But it was cool, so I ended up doing over 600 tracks, like wow. about four or five albums, and uh, people all over the world, and every style you could imagine, from electronic dance music to death metal to... Uh, straight up rock to, to country to fusion to classical and jazz and it was actually good for me because I had to sit there and figure things out me and my engineer in Nashville 
figure out how how are we going to approach this piece and uh, dig deep. And uh, it was uh, really uh, 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 helpful to me in my playing just to increase my vocabulary on what I what I do on the instrument by playing all these different things. And also songs that just aren't completely together and the timing's a little off or the drummer blew apart and we got to figure a way to play through that to make it sound right. And it was mm-hmm. uh, quite an adventure itself. Yeah, that's really that's really very cool. And I'm sure that uh, you made some some uh, up and coming musicians very, very happy uh, getting a bass, a bass track on their record from Billy Sheehan. There was this one band from Germany, I believe. I think they're called Stinger. And uh, the guy sounds so much like early Bon Scott. It's amazing. And the tracks were very ACDC, though not fully ACDC. And I think their song won like some song contest in Germany or something. So, so they got some good results out of it. So I'm pleased with that. And of course, final in the in the whole Billy Sheehan world is um, speaking of Portnoy. And I saw I saw Richie a few weeks ago. He was at the tail yeah. end of wrapping up his solo tour. We finally have a third Winery Dogs record in the can, done, mixed, mastered, ready to go. And Mike was saying yesterday that the three of you guys have really carved out a lot of next year to dedicate to that fantastic trio you have. So I'm sure you're looking forward to that. I sure am, man. Uh, we're so pleased with the record. Uh, we're over the moon about it. And uh, the fact that we're just going to play tons of shows. I love playing with the Wilder Dogs. It's three-piece. Makes things very simple and easy to watch each other. I watch Richie. I watch Mike. Mike and I got great bass and drum ESP where we think the same thing at the same time by some odd set of circumstances. And uh, it's a blast to play in that band. And so they're booking it like crazy now. Uh, I know they've got a couple months booked already and now they're looking at other territories. And so uh, we're all very excited and we have you to thank, of course, for being uh, one of the seeds planted that created the band by uh, suggesting Richie to Mike and I. So we never forget that, Eddie. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you guys saying that it really means a lot. And I'm just happy that it's gone so well and that there's another wave of it coming. And I have been lucky enough to hear some of the record and I don't think, I don't think any fans of the band are going to be in any way disappointed. I mean, you really very much picked off, picked up uh, right where you left off. To me, it feels like a lot of a lot of elements of what's on the first record, but also some of the more experimental things from time in the second record creep in a little bit. But the the little bit I've heard of it sounds like it's a little more in line with the first record, and uh, it's just killer to me. It's just I think fans are going to love it, and and the material is just stellar. Oh, I'm so glad. I I always say that my, my three records, eat them and smile. Uh, Mr. Big, lean into it, and the first Winery Dogs record. <laughs> I love that record so much, and uh, again, it's a joy to play with those guys, and we're we're excited to get out. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, you know, and I always, I think we've talked about this before, but when you go back to Talis and the early years, and of course, for people that are big Billy Sheehan fans, they know that's where you started. That's where the song "Shy Boy," that of course was on Eat 'Em and Smile, came from. It's actually a Talis song. I had sink your teeth into that. I mean, I had those records growing up as a, you know, and, and again, I saw you back then and you were, you were so much of a focal point of that band because of the way you played bass and because of your, uh, your, your onstage uh, performances and all of that. W- what was, when you left the band and you notified them that you were going to Roth, I imagine that was a tough thing to do. And I'm wondering what the temperature of the band was like, because 
it felt like to me as a fan at that time, Talis was very much poised to maybe take the next step and really make a big national run. Was that a difficult thing for you circling back to Talis? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, like I said before, it was bittersweet that I, you know, chose to leave. But at the time, there was a lot of pressure, too. I mean, we were slugging it out every single night, getting into a van and driving two hours, you know, after a two-hour show, getting in the next day, staying in a Motel 6, maybe get a McDonald's, a Big Mac, if you're lucky. And then the drinking laws changed where it went from 18 to 21. So the bar business got cut in half. So a lot of bars and clubs shut down. So a lot of gigs got lost. And uh, I was just worried about my future, and it was a it was a bittersweet thing to uh, have to make that decision. And I always said, well, the only band I'd ever leave Dallas for was Van Halen and Dave Lee Roth. Uh, close <laughs> enough, exactly. <laughs> and I was gone. So, uh, but uh, it was tough. It was tough because, like I said earlier, we it's it's you know your own thing with your own friends from your own town and your own songs and you'd like it that to be the thing that takes you where you want to go. But sometimes it just isn't in the cards. And I think, uh, I think I made the right decision, but uh, I'm so lucky now I can go back and uh, revisit uh, the friendship first of all, and also the, uh, the music that we had together. And, and the, and the last thing from me and I'll let you go is, you, were, you mentioned earlier that Talis actually started in the early 70s. And yeah. it came on my radar being a kid from New Jersey, like early 80s. But you as a bass player, early on in your career, were you still, as people perceive you to be now, the, Billy Sheehan, the, the way you play? I mean, were you that um, accomplished early on? Were you attacking the bass like you do? Were you that animated on stage in your performances? Were you like that from day one in the earliest years of Talis? Or did your style and approach to performing and playing bass evolve through the 70s to what people finally saw with Edom, the Edom and Smile Band? Had it been building, or were you like that out of the gate in your earliest years with Talis? Well, it started early. Uh, we went to see uh, Mata Hoople, New York Dolls, and uh, Aerosmith. I think it was 73, 72 or 73 in Buffalo. And Overend Watts wore these high boots. And I saw him and I, I got to get a pair. Overend Watts, the bass player for Matahoupel. I know you know that. Uh, <laughs> so they had shops in Toronto. So we ended up getting this six-inch heel, four-inch platform giant boots way before Kiss. Kiss started in what year, 76? 74. 73. <clears throat> Oh, really? So they didn't do the boots and stuff, or well, they weren't known until, I don't know when the first record. Anyway. They, the first record came out early 74. Oh, really? So I know I was ahead of them, so it must have been, I must have been 73. No matter. I, the only reason I say that is any time I post a picture, I was like, oh, look, you're trying to be like Kiss. And I go, no, and it was, they weren't there yet. So, but, uh, so it was a, a pretty wild look we had. I couldn't move around much in the six-inch heels, but we still managed to make quite a, quite a scene on the stage. And it was uh, during the glam years, like I said, Mata Hoopo, Lou Reed, David Bowie, all that stuff. So it started there a little bit and then uh, went on from there. And it just became kind of a natural thing. I love to play. Hendrix was my first concert and I saw him and I wanted to be like him, not a, not as a guitar player, of course, but just as a performer. And uh, 
that stuck with me as being my very first concert. I saw him in 68. And uh, so my, my goal was to, and I remember when Mike Varney had a little uh, spotlight, a new talent in Guitar Player Magazine, my first little blurb in, in a national magazine. My quote was, uh, I'd like to be able to do a bass solo for 30 minutes, but not bore anybody. That was the key <laughs> point. So I don't know if I've achieved that at all, but uh, I'm still firing at it. Uh, I think I certainly do think you've achieved it. No question about that. Well, listen, man, it's great to catch up with you as always. I'm glad we had a chance to do so. And congratulations on uh, being on the charts with your, you know, really uh, some unfinished business here that you put a nice button on my condolences about phil i mean that's that's obviously the bittersweet aspect of this but uh, it's really nice what a what a nice if this is the closing statement on talus what a nice closing statement it is and above and beyond anything it's it really is a killer record there's some great songs and performances on there so uh congrats on that everybody check out the new talus record it's called 1985 and it is out now and uh i highly recommend it really good stuff thanks man Thank you, Eddie, so much for for this interview and everything you do. We really appreciate it. You're the greatest, man. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Billy. I look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, Winery Dogs Action will be here before you know it. You, can, uh, you know you'll be seeing my mug out there as much as possible and looking forward to that as well. So, uh, Me too. Best... Thanks so much. Yeah, you enjoy, and uh, I'll hopefully uh, talk to you soon and stay in touch if you need anything. Great. Likewise. Thanks, Eddie. Well, thanks to Billy Sheehan. That Talus record is really good. No joke. I mean, uh, you'd think a band that put a record together like that uh, after so long wouldn't be all that great. It's really, really good. Be sure to check it out. It's called 1985. It's out right now. Uh, Thanks earlier to uh, Michael Monroe, of course, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for listening each and every week. Don't forget, new episodes hit every Thursday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss one. And be sure to listen to me every day on the radio, Sirius XM, Faction Talk 103, live 3 to 5 Eastern daily, replays most nights at midnight or 9 p.m. Pacific on 103. But you don't have to wait for the replays. Catch up on anything you may have missed interviews, audio, video, full shows, all on the SiriusXM app. Just put Trunk Nation in search. I'll see you guys next Thursday for another all-new podcast and hopefully on the radio each and every day. Take care. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.